mm-hmm. you know, on the surface, you know, having this sort of nebulous risk, kind of similar to climate change, where people don't really understand it, they don't get it. You know, people are like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. We should definitely put regulatory bodies together. You know, let's let's get Kamala Harris to like regulate AI. You know, <laughs> who who better? Um, I s- <laughs> So, anyway. That's exactly the sentence that I was thinking. Yes. <laughs> what is up, guys? Welcome back to AI Unchained. I am Guy Swan, and this is the show about self-hosted, sovereign, open-sourced AI tools and philosophy. If you are sick of having to plug into the Microsoft and Google centralized databases and closed platforms with no privacy or security in order to get your AI tools, well, then you came to the right place because this is how you avoid that. Today, we have another awesome conversation with Alex Fetsky. This is the follow-up to episode two that we did with him. And uh, he is uh, he has announced the spirit of Satoshi this project that he has been working on and the company and the many people behind it and we dig into all sorts of things the complexities of training a model like this and the difficulties of curating and finding information and how to think about the stack between the language model itself and its source its sources of data and how it makes sense between fact and just you know that hallucination effect of just creating something nonsensical that doesn't actually exist and also how Bitcoin, how a digital bearer instrument and irreversible payment system factor in to are increasingly going to become a critical part of how we actually have a sustainable open source AI ecosystem. And we are going to get in, into all of it in just a minute. This show is brought to you by CoinKite and the cold card hardware wallet. The beauty of Bitcoin is that it has made it has made corporate and government level security that used to cost tens of thousands of dollars in hardware security modules literally easily accessible, simple to use and incredibly affordable. Like just consumer grade affordable. You can get a level of security that was unheard of 10, 15 years ago in a digital hardware device. If you have your Bitcoin, if you have purchased Bitcoin and you have it on an exchange, you need to withdraw it now. You need to get yourself a cold card and luckily you can get 9% off uh, with code Bitcoin Audible. That's my other podcast. Um, but uh, that pot, that code will still get all of the AI Unchained listeners 9% off their cold card. So check it out. Go to coldcard.com at the link in the promo right in the show notes to check it out if you haven't. Now let's take a quick moment before we get into it to like and subscribe this channel so that you don't miss all of the amazing things that we are doing. And also, for those who don't know, we do have read episodes on the podcast that are only on the audio feed right now. So don't forget to check out the podcast version of this show on the RSS feed. And uh, just a moment of silence for everyone who is taking the moment to subscribe. All right, that's good. Let's get into the conversation with Alex Fetsky. This is AI Un- Svetsky, welcome back to AI Unchained. This will be episode five. Uh, You're already the first person to come back on the show. Uh, the most. <laughs> We're on episode five and you've been here twice. 
Does that say something about for... you? Does that say something about you not having any guests that want to come on? <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> you are, Fetzmanski is 40% of this show. Um, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, uh, dude. Dude, welcome. I haven't had, I'm, I'm not totally awake yet. I'm getting there, I'm getting there. It's all right. Oh, I'll man. Um, uh, so, welcome back to the show, man. Uh, uh, this was uh, something I was really eager. I kept wanting to ask you about this last time we, you were on the show. Um, but, uh, you have, uh, an announcement to make you, you announced something in Prague and a project that you're working on and, uh, that you want everyone to be a part of even, and, uh, and it's really exciting and I'm, I'm happy to get into it. So, uh, how about I hand this over to you? You kind of give me the breakdown that you gave in Prague for revealing this to, to the world. Sure. Let's do it. Um, thank you, sir. Um, so yeah, I... I went to Prague, and um, and it was it was kind of impromptu. We we sort of were only half ready to to make an announcement. That's why on my little Twitter thing I called it a light announcement, whatever the fuck that is. Um, you know, it, we live in the age of announcements, right? We're announcing. <laughs> this is uh, so we. Uh, I, I my talk at Prague was basically it was a short ten minute talk on. Um, I mean, it was entitled Bitcoin Meets AI, which is sort of where I ended the talk. But really, the, the talk sort of centered around the theme of uh, differentiating fake risks from real risks uh, in AI. And we, we touched on this in the first episode, right? Um, kind of this idea of, uh, uh, you know, where you know, AGI is around the corner and AI is going to kill all of us. So we need to align AI. And in order to align AI, we need to build these regulatory bodies to, you know, regulate language models, um, because that's the one that's most likely to become super intelligent, right? And, mm -hmm. you know, on the surface, you know, having this sort of nebulous risk, kind of similar to climate change, where people don't really understand it, they don't get it, you know, people are like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea, we should definitely put regulatory bodies together, you know, let's, let's get Kamala Harris to like, regulate AI. You know, <laughs> who, who better? Um, I <laughs> So anyway, That's exactly the sentence that I was thinking. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, you know, maybe, maybe her and Yuval Harari and, you know, Klaus and a couple of friends, right? You know, that's like the perfect, you know, AI policing committee, um, you know, because that's they've done such a good job in the past, right? So anyway, people are very quick to sort of say, oh, Intelligent yeah. and moral. Yes, both. It's the, it's the ultimate, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, overlap, the Venn diagram. Um, so anyway, um, you know, my, my whole thesis on the, uh, on the stage was like, look, AGI is so out there. Like we, we can't even define, and we spoke about this last time also, we can't even define like elements of cognitive intelligence, let alone like the innumerable array of intelligences that make up the thing that we know as generally intelligent, which is humans. Like, you know, we have emotional intelligence, we have hormonal intelligence, muscular intelligence, like biochemical intelligence. We have intelligence in our guts, in like, in our, in our organs, like fucking everything. Like we have no idea, like we're still sort of in the realm of cognitive intelligence, like computation and language and all this sort of stuff. Like all the other stuff is like so much broader. So anyway, my, my whole thing is like, look, I don't say this because AGI is impossible. Who knows? Maybe, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know, 
but we're so far from like even like broad intelligence, let alone general intelligence, let alone consciousness, which is what I think most people are actually afraid of when it comes to AI. I think most people are actually afraid of like, you know, a conscious sentient machine kind of killing everyone, right? And having Man. its own will, basically, right? That's really where I think a lot of the, um, the fear- They're worried about something that looks a lot like a human that's just more capable than them. Correct, exactly. Like it has human emotions, it has human things, or and or it's it's the uh, the opposite of that. It's it's the definition of a psychopath inside of a computer, you know? Correct. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> and, so, you know, there's actually something interesting that you bring up about, like, the the fact that intelligence- is I've read, I've read something not too long ago, I feel like. It might have even been posted in that AI group. It might have been in that article. But just talking about how, like, nature itself actually maintains a staggering amount of intelligence at all times. You, you know, like, the intelligence and the balance just within, like, things that are constantly interacting and uh, within, like, a a forest or something and like a fungal growth, like the, the amount of data that it's actually processing and responding to and the stimulus that will change its behavior. And, but we don't think of these things like, like it's like AI, especially large language models are literally just like a tiny little thin layer on top of this, of kind of an extension or a new branch of, cognitive intelligence simply because it's linguistic like it's language based but the idea that it's consciousness or that intelligence is some crazy weird bizarre thing that only we invented you know it's 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 to completely misunderstand the nature of nature is that no this is all nature has done is create intelligence and order and sustainability and and I, and I love that because it's one of those heuristics that I fall back on all the time too is that in the face of something that I don't understand look at what happens in nature you, you know like how like order maintains mm -hmm. and things that destroy usually die mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and exactly. you know at the end of the day um, and I, I think this was an analogy you used actually um, or it was something. It was something in variance with it because uh, Tim Timcast actually had a good analogy too. I hated it. the rest of his show was so stupid um, on AI recently. But uh, <laughs> uh, the the analogy that he used was it's like the discovery of fire, and in that same sense is that it is something that can get away away from us if we don't know what we're doing with it. You know, if you don't know how to use the tool, you can easily start a fire in the woods and be like, oh, look, I'm going to cook my food. And then you accidentally burn the forest down, you know, and in that same way, these things can carry their own threads and do damage that we don't intend for them to do because it is a process um, uh, that we start. But the idea that we should be afraid of it and that it's going to take over the world and destroy everything. I, I just don't I don't see the. I don't see nature producing that. I don't, I don't see that as the consequence of intelligence. I see that as kind of our ignorance and yeah, yeah. basic fears of, you know, personified computers. <laughs> it, it, do you know what it, it really it's Hollywood. is? I called it like a nerd's nihilistic wet dream, right? Like it's, uh, you know, the, the idea that, you know, Seriously, like no, no, a nihilistic wet dream. It, it really kind of is, though. It's a great it really way. Is. Like, it's this kind of thing. It's like, oh, you know, the Bible's fake, religion's fake, and all that sort of stuff. But then on the other side, they sort of, like every human being has like an eschat eschatological sort of, you know, 
piece in their brain. So for them, the eschatology is like, you know, God is in the computers and God's going to burn everything down because we created him. And, um, you know, it's kind of like this doomsday thing, you know, it's like everything. And it's kind of, it's, it's an inner projection, yeah. right? Like it's almost like an inner anger that they have with the world that they can't sort of, uh, you know, they, they, they almost like are so bitter that there's nothing sacred that, that they don't believe in anything sacred that they almost like imbue circuits with something sacred it's 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 this weird fucking thing and mm -hmm. i don't know like I, I just don't like there's a whole other discussion about like if there was a being somehow that emerged that was of the higher intelligence my guess is that such a being would be more cooperative than uh antagonistic honestly mm -hmm. like you know you, it's not just about like burning everything around you down like that that's actually that's artificial stupidity not artificial intelligence um so so that but that that's that's a whole other um discussion which you know maybe we'll save for a future episode you know when we want to turn your you know maybe we'll do episode six and make this show 50 percent <laughs> okay <laughs> <laughs> um but i i think what what i what i want to sort of say here is that in this fake risk of agi being around the corner because language models, right? It actually does, um, I, I think that narrative is, uh, first, it's either naive, it's like naive and stupid. So it's kind of like, oh, climate change, we need to, you know, turn off all the power plants tomorrow because we're gonna burn the world down, right? So, so that kind of naivete mm -hmm. is really stupid. Or alternatively, it's more the, um, it's also like the deliberate red herring kind of hysteria narrative by those who want to create regulatory yeah. roles, right? So they know, like, I, and I would argue that a lot of the, it's the same kind of people that are pushing climate change, same fucking people pushing uh, AI regulatory stuff. So usually- yeah, the same people who want to make you, if you're afraid of climate change, then it's really easy to create a, a shitcoin token uh, called carbon credits that's $2 trillion worth of new derivatives in a financial system that's running out of things to trade, like running out of derivative well, runway. And then if you're afraid of AGI, it's a really great way to make sure that you can silo these things into a few giant corporations that are highly, highly watched and controlled by the government. And then you have a Facebook, uh, a centralized Facebook and platform sort of dynamic which you clearly don't have in AI right now. Mm -hmm. You you can recreate it. You know, fear is the yeah. ultimate tool of control. Yeah, yeah. So so this is this is where my sort of uh, argument boiled down. I was, I was like, look, mm -hmm. this fake risk is either naivete or an actual attempt to create hysteria so that the real risk comes in. And the real risk is exactly what you said. Is um is approved language models and i kind of had a slide in there you know and i called the um you know called them the language police and i kind of had like and all that sort of stuff which is which is essentially what they're putting together they're talking about language models must be approved they must be run through toxicity filters they must be run through uh safety filters responsibility filters etc 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 in order to be approved for use uh, within certain domains, etc. So th this is this is sort of what I flagged and I and kind of, you know, what my talk boiled down to at the end is like, don't get fucking caught up in the AGI hysteria. You know, sure, that might one day happen. But for damn sure, we are not anywhere near it. Um, when you hear AI regulation, that is actually the risk. And what we should be doing is pushing back against 
not only the narrative, but also going out and doing our best to build uh, models, alternatives, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that basically make it, I mean, it's, we're playing whack-a-mole again, literally. Yeah. Like Bitcoin is playing mm -hmm. whack-a-mole with the financial system, which is fundamentally the, the backbone of everything. And, you know, Bitcoin is whack-a-mole because, you know, you turn one node off and there's another 100,000 running, you're fucked. So, you know, Bitcoin is sort of one. So now we've got a kind of, you know, same sort of playbook. We've got to build many models, many data sets, you know, uh, many applications. We've got to kind of work into making this, you know, a tool or a series of tools, a toolkit that, you know, many people use in many ways that, um, you know, that is too hard to have a master switch for. Um, so that way uh, we don't end up in a, um, you know, I guess like as with any tool, like if I'm the only person with a gun, you know, I run the show. You know, if I'm the only person who gets to call yeah. what's happening uh, with language models and AI sort of development, then I, you know, run the show. It doesn't have to be AGI for me to have a significant uh, advantage over you. It just needs to be. I mean, imagine having the internet versus not, and you're the only one that can, you know, has access to all the information on the internet. Yeah. Um, like AI is not a whole lot unlike that. Yeah. Exactly. So, so that that was the that was the theory and the thesis uh, behind my talk. Um, and I guess, I mean, I don't know if you want to dig into any of that, but you know, after that, then I kind of announced our little initiative as a as a as an example of doing something about it. So, let's talk about the initiative. Let's let's go ahead and get into that. Um, so yeah, we've kind of, I guess, made everyone a little bit wet now. So now let's, uh, let's move to <laughs> just the tip. Um, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, the, the initiative is a Bitcoin centric language model. Um, and you know, there, there's been sort of murmurings, uh, here and there of people, um, talking about doing something about this. And, you know, as I, I think I explained on the last call, um, you know, for the last six and a bit months now, geez, it's even been a little bit longer, I've sort of been down this uh, rabbit hole. And really what we were doing was we were trying to, initially we were trying to fine tune and then later we went on to kind of uh, building embeddings and, um, and creating these knowledge graphs to build personas, right? And the, the original personas we wanted to build, we wanted to put those in like a mentoring app. And those personas included people like Jordan Peterson, Marcus Aurelius, jobs blah 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 and as we're sort of you know going down that rabbit hole like you know it's a cool concept but what i felt we were doing was almost building a building a solution in search of a problem right like yeah. it, it's kind of it felt cool to sort of have a jordan peterson ai in my pocket but i was like <laughs> what do i ask the guy like hey man would you have to break yeah. you know it kind, kind of like it, it's a little bit i don't know it's, it's a bit gimmicky i guess yeah. And outside of the way he speaks specifically, you know, like what is it necessarily like what generally am I asking that I definitely only need Jordan Peterson to yeah. answer? You know what I mean? Exactly, yeah, exactly. So and look, maybe there is something there at some stage, maybe. But, you know, I guess what what was triggering me or, or at least I remember just waking up one morning. It was kind of like a, a burst of inspiration. I woke up one morning and I was like, holy fuck, I figured it out. I was like, there's going to be a billion people in the next 
10 years asking why Bitcoin? What is Bitcoin? How does it work? Blah, blah, blah. Like, t- tell me, tell me one other industry on the planet or one other thing on the planet that necessitates a rabbit hole like Bitcoin. Nothing. Like, the, the amount of content, like the amount of shit that's written on Bitcoin, Bitcoin and mushrooms, Bitcoin and sex, Bitcoin and vaginas, Bitcoin and fucking you know, energy, Bitcoin and Austrian, like everything. There's, there's some, Bitcoin apparently just touches everything. And not only that, is like we in the Bitcoin space know that we're on something which is the ultimate contrarian bet. It's like Bitcoin is, you know, intellectually, philosophically, economically, like it's, it's, it's central. And the more that sort of dawned, mm-hmm. the more I realized, man, we need to like build, like not not only do we need to build something that essentially encapsulates all of this incredible Bitcoin content and, you know, the stuff that sits at the periphery of Bitcoin, so Austrian economics, libertarian uh, literature and stuff like that. But we also, we also need to do it in such a way that it becomes an onboarding or educational tool that can be used at scale, right? And the analogy I like to give to people is it's very effective to orange pill someone uh, one-on-one, right? Like if if I sit down with you and we, you know, we have a conversation, I can understand a little bit about you. I can figure out where your hotspots are and I can present Bitcoin in a, through a lens that you're familiar with and that you will understand and that you might um, be more conducive to, right? Um, that's very effective, but it's not super efficient. Like, I can't fucking do that with some people, right? Neither can you. So now, you know, Bitcoin kind of has this strength that each one of us becomes almost a node in Bitcoin and we go and convince our friends and we, you know, fucking nag them into buying some Bitcoin and do all that sort of stuff. But once again, it's not it's not super scalable. So. You know, what's more efficient? Well, what's more efficient is doing things like podcasts, writing essays, writing articles. But it, that's not as good. That's not as effective as Orange Point someone directly, right? For me, a language model represents an opportunity to Orange Point both. So, so let, let me rephrase it. It represents an opportunity to, to blend efficiency and efficacy, right? Is you like a language model could technically tailor its communication to you not just in your language, but understanding a little bit about you and tailoring it to something you already understand and taking you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in a way that is good for Guy or, you know, good for Svetsky or good for Paloma or, you know, good for Jack, like whatever, right? And I think that's where the power of these um, language models sort of lies, at least when using it as a tool. And, and this is sort of what I want to stress is the big epiphany that I had was that, look, AI is not the product. AI is actually the tool product in this case is Bitcoin education or the product in yep. this case is maybe I should say alternative education because we'll want to we'll want to broaden it beyond just Bitcoin like and you know the cool thing about Bitcoin obviously is like once you start understanding Bitcoin then you start thinking about sound health sound money sound like you know localism like all of the stuff that comes with it right so we could literally build an entire corpus of knowledge accessible through an open source language model that um, you know becomes the uh, you know the, the the place where people go to learn something other than the mainstream um, and you know go down these rabbit holes and learn and, and evolve and you know and become more as a human being 
And, um, and anyway, that, that's sort of the, the premise of the idea. Um, so I'll stop there for a moment if you've got any questions. Yeah, one of the things I've been trying to think about, like, what these things are again you know it's it's one of those things like like bitcoin is even after you're in it for years like you're still stopping sometimes and you're wondering you're trying to think like what the hell is this thing again because you 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 realize some new element of it or a new aspect and ai is such is so interesting because we do have this kind of like silly tendency to personify it and that li that's not what it is um but there's it's interesting to think about it from the context of these like skill or information repositories, yes. like like this like some sort of hyper compression of this certain way of thinking or this certain it's it's almost poetic that we're creating this at a time where we're losing so many skills yes. and we're losing so much knowledge in the actual economy um, because. You know, there's probably a few, you know, 70-year-old guys out there that are just so good at, like, something in machining or welding or something like that. And they have some knowledge that may literally get lost because our economy is so out of balance and misallocated that there's nobody for them to teach. There's nobody for them to train. And these are, I mean, not to say that, like, we're going to have a large language model that's going to be able to pass on their welding skills, but... Um, but the, the knowledge and the information that you pick up from those situations as you begin to integrate these things and you learn how to utilize these tools for that sort of thing. Like a, a great example actually is when I was an uh, uh, internet technician, like you can get a lot of book knowledge and a lot of information about like, you know, internet problems and how signals work and all that shit. But it's just not the same as plugging in your meter and being able to see what it looks like on the grid when you're when you're putting out the thing and you can see it move in one way and you're like, Oh shit, that's this kind of noise. Like, I think we got like a bad fitting somewhere and like that really can't like so much has gotten from experience. So much has gotten from like boots on the ground, like running into a problem that you just have no idea. You have no basis for understanding and you fight with it for four hours and you, till you figure out it's every time somebody turns on their freaking microwave, it's their Wi-Fi goes out because their Faraday sucks or something like their microwave just busted. And, um, uh, but those specific sorts of things are only the things that transmit through shadowing, through like being with someone else and training them as you go through those problems. And then you tell them that funny story about how the microwave was screwing up the Wi-Fi that one time. Um, and this is actually a way to it's it's a new layer of the ability to actually start to codify that to to actually be able to carry that on in the face of still losing that person with the with the ex, uh, exact experience um and it's so interesting it's like it's such a hopeful and in, in crazy crazy empowering thing when it, when you think about it like that the the new layer of intelligence or experience that you can now save on a computer um with with these new tools uh, and I don't know what's your what's your kind of long term thinking on this. Like, are you generally hopeful? Like, is this is this something? Because uh, we did just have like the dark side of AI episode. So, uh, like, what's your? Is it all optimism? Is it 
well, a little bit of pessimism. Like, what's your what's your take on kind of the general direction before we get into some specifics on Satoshi, yeah, Spirit so, of Satoshi? Um, I mean, even even to what you just mentioned, it's it's a double edged sword, right? So, like, technology's you know, technology is a is an interesting thing. You know, as people who are prim- predominantly sort of libertarian, you know, will always say that technology is a tool, right? And it's agnostic. You know, it's how you use the tool that matters. But I think there is, you know, for, for, for the good that technology does, there's also a cost, right? And, and so, sort of the cost in my mind is always the Wally cost, right? It's the, um, it's the, uh, I, I'm referencing the movie, right? Wally, where runners become yeah. so you know, dependent on, you know, the screen and everything around them that they just become fat walls, right? And, you know, I think that's probably generally the, um, cost of technology it kind of maybe shifts us more into the material realm uh in some way um and i think it it you know what while i agree in some sense what you said about like preserving knowledge um and i mean it's definitely what i'm trying to do with this bitcoin language model is preserve preserve the memes preserve the knowledge preserve like the nuance preserve all of that sort of stuff in some way that is accessible through language right so mm. like you know, someone said this the other day, and I kind of agree with them. It's like a language model is a glorified uh, search engine, right? And, and it's essentially yeah. what it yeah. is, really, right? Um, and I think that is right to some degree, but but it also the cost of that is it. Um, like, let me just explain it through this example. It's when I was young, I used to do door to door sales before we had any GPS on our phones. And you mm-hmm. could drop in the middle of a fucking suburb that I've never been to with a little copy, uh, a photocopy of a little map. I could find my way. You could drop me in the middle of nowhere and I, I would just know. And I knew every street in basically an entire city, like because I had door knocked it before and like you had to find your, you had to find your way around. We didn't have, mm-hmm. we didn't have iPhones. We didn't have any of that sort of stuff. Um, these days, I mean, you take a kid, you drop him in the middle of somewhere. <laughs> good luck, bro. <laughs> They'll, they'll starve to death in a city, right? That's how, like, that's how ridiculous uh, things have gotten. Now, does that mean that GPS is bad? No, not necessarily. But there has been a cost to, like, yes, we can find our way quicker now. But, you know, we don't even look at the street signs anymore. You know what I mean? We don't, like, we don't remember mm-hmm. where we walk, right? Like, my wife's a great example. Like, you know, we go for a walk through Europe. Like, I still have that skill, I guess, because I was, you know, doing that when I was younger. But I... You know, I track and think about the streets. I kind of know my bearings and I don't have to look at the phone all the time to figure out. You have different habits. Yeah. Yeah. So like, you know, for example, we'll walk out of the house. I'll look where we're going and then I'll just walk the whole way there. Mm -hmm. Kind of like no direction where we're going. She's like, how the hell do you know where you're going all the time? I'm like, you know, I don't know. It's just (laughs) like a sixth sense. Right. Um, Whereas her, God, God help us. Like she'll, she'll get lost going around the corner. So, um, so this is this is sort of where I think um, you know there, there is a price to pay. There is a price to yeah. pay for, for becoming more technologically adept, and and I think the um, the onus is on us as individuals to spend some time detached from technology in some way um, to maintain our own skills. Right? Like I used to do this actually when I was in high school. Um, everyone was always, 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 always dependent on the calculator during math. And I grew up to a really mm-hmm. Eastern European father who he hated 
calculators. He never let me use a calculator. Man, the kind of arithmetic I could do in my head back in the day, I went all the way through to 12th grade without using a calculator. I fucking hated them. I had this like repulsion to calculators for some reason. And I actually did one of my exams without a calculator and I got like 86%, like I fucking mopped the floor basically, uh, you know, half the class um, without doing a calculator, without using a calculator. So, you know, I had that. Uh, these days, I'm a dumb shit. You know, all I do now is use calculators when I need to, you know, figure out six plus seven. I'm like, uh, what was that again? Yeah. Uh, was it was it eighteen? <laughs> it's eighteen. It's eighteen. It's eighteen, dude. <laughs> so, um, so anyway, I, I think I've sort of beaten that uh, long enough. So, yeah, I I don't know if there's a. If there's a clean answer to that, I don't know if there's a, is it good or is it bad or is it just it is and it's kind of the Faustian bargain that we it just is yeah sort of you know sign up for yeah um, but I think we can probably consciously try and do things uh, at an individual level that you know make make us make us masters of this technology instead of become becoming instead of the technology mastering us sort of thing so, so I think that's like a really important mm-hmm. point. And then I think there is genuine use cases where, uh, you know, leveraging the technology makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I guess in this case, as a, you know, quote unquote, Bitcoin repository, as a, as a Bitcoin educational, <clears throat> as a tool for onboarding, you know, like a bes- bespoke orange pilling at scale, something like that. I think there's something here um, that, you know, the world needs. And I don't know if it becomes a character in and of itself. Um, that'd be, that'd be really cool. And that's kind of where we want to take it. So yeah, that, that's my, <laughs> that's my not so clean cut answer for your question. <laughs> um, it's, it's funny. Uh, I, I thought about it. it. It's one of those things that you think about, especially like I was always like big into film and stories. Uh, but in the kind of like cheap, the stupid time travel t- stories, it's always like people from the future go back in time and it's like they have superpowers or whatever because they have this grand knowledge that everybody from back then doesn't have. And it's so funny as I think about it now. Like when I was a kid, I was like, I would love this. Like, oh, this is so cool. And what's funny is I think about it literally the opposite now. That if anybody from our time went back 2,000 years, it would literally be like everybody else had superpowers. And that yeah. person is completely incapacitated. They can't, they can't walk down the street. They don't know how to make themselves a sandwich. Like, it just, there's nothing. They don't, none, no access to the internet or the tools. It's like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'll watch that on YouTube. Oh, shit, I'm so fucked. <laughs> Survival, survival, seven days max. <laughs> Actually, yeah, that's how the web plans to depopulate us. Just send people back in time. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. So uh, I want to talk about... Um, uh, one of the things, actually, you said is the scale. Um, and that's, that's a topic and an idea about AI that has been fascinating to me is that, you know, if this... If these language models, or let, let's say Spirit of Satoshi specifically, ever become like a really great, if it's a great Bitcoin tutor, um, even if it's a great introductory tutor, you mm-hmm. know, for some period of time, the scale of having everyone who can have a one-on-one introductory tutor to specifically answer their questions is fascinating. Yeah, is fascinating, and uh, like e- even even in a subpar state, 
it's so incredibly useful to kind of get things moving or to just have some basic resource. But what in your like I don't I don't know the training models and or, or the training mechanisms I guess. Um, and I haven't really gone that far into the LLM space yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what are the big challenges? What happens not quite like you thought it would? You know, like where are the complications in this? Because a lot of this is just kind of like a magic box for a bunch of people. Is that like, oh, you put a bunch of information in and then it knows stuff. And that hasn't seemed to be the case. I've I've explored a lot of different LLMs and it's amazing how many errors and just kind of like making things up you know because it is a probability machine um so what's the what's the magic sauce how do you tweak um let's i'm very curious about some of the dynamics in training and making it correct so to speak yeah let's dig into that so we um you know we got a lot of experience trying to do like uh you know the jordan peterson models and all of that and and my whole thing was uh, our pitch was we're trying to build models that not only emulate the linguistic style, but the model of the world of particular personas. Right. And, and we, we, ne- we never quite nailed it because we were, we were always trying to fine tune or retrieval enhance, um, uh, GPT three basically, uh, or DaVinci, something like that. Right. Which are the open AI models for, for those who don't know. And I'll, I'll explain what retrieval enhancement and fine tuning means in a second, but the, the model of the world is, is, a, is a very tricky one, um, and I don't actually think that that's been cracked, is like to, to have something represent not just the style, language style, but a, but a real uh, a perspective, like a, like a perspective, like an opinion. A worldview. Yeah. yeah, exactly, a worldview. A um, reasoning model, so to speak. Correct. And, I, and I, I, I'm not sure if that's been cracked yet. Maybe it has, maybe it hasn't. Um, but, but at least from what I can tell, um, the, the larger the language model, the more general it is, the less of a worldview, the less of a particular worldview it has, because it's got such a broader corpus of, um, of probability clustering to sort of uh, source from. It, um, it, it generally sort of, I guess it represents almost like the, um, you know, the, the lukewarm middle, you know, or, or the mean or the average or the median in some way. Now you can prompt your way into getting it to sort of represent a little bit more of a model of the world, but you know, you have this sort of um, issue with the mainstream language models, particularly, I guess, you know, chat GPT and uh, Google's BARD are probably the two big ones that everyone generally refers to and talks to, which are, are probably the best general language models, you know, they work the best, you know, they, they can follow instructions better and all that sort of stuff, but they have been guardrailed essentially so that, you know, when there is, uh, opinions or worldviews that you want to, uh, elicit that don't fit within, you know, the prescribed guardrails, they, you know, basically look like a Roomba vacuum cleaner, you know, it's like, eh, 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 error, error, eh. um, and you know, they've done all this sort of, you know, apologetic crap, you know, sort of it apologizes before, apologizes after and all this sort of shit. So, so anyway, um, to kind of deal with that, you, there's a couple of things you can do. Um, and maybe what I'll do is I'll explain sort of like the three ways to train a model, quote unquote, and this will sort of give us the context to, to think through um, this at a larger, at a larger sort of scale. So mm-hmm. you have pre-training 
you have fine tuning and then you have uh i guess um i mean reinforcement learning some people say that's a second you know separate stage and some people say that that's part of the fine tuning stage because you're changing weights and biases and all that sort of shit but let, let's say you've got fine tuning uh sorry pre-training fine tuning and reinforcement learning right mm -hmm. like the three stages of the training of the model and then you have a, a second part which is kind of like a you can call it a post-training, but it's not really training the model. It's it's connecting the model to a vectorized knowledge graph, and I'll explain what that means in a second. But let's let's talk through the first three ways. So, pre-training is when you um, when you basically take a massive, 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 massive corpus of text, and you structure it in a particular way. So it's like raw and it's in chunks, um, and you feed it. To a model, um, you select the model architecture type. So, you know, GPT is probably the most uh, common now, um, which is generative pre-trained transformer architecture, right? And what it, what this machine learning model then does, is it plays a game internally of guessing the next word or guessing the masked word, uh, in sense, mm -hmm. and it just runs that over and over and over and over and over again through layers and all this sort of stuff until it gets relatively good internally at guessing the next word or guessing the masked word, right? Mm -hmm. Then um, you, you basically what you're doing at this stage is you're creating probability clusters around particular words and sentences and stuff like that, right? So you, you know, you're creating, you, you're turning all of the words and the sentences into vectors that represent some sort of semantic meaning. So that way, you know, cat and dog, for example, are relatively close together um, mm -hmm. from a semantic standpoint because they appear in sentences relatively often, like cat, dog, pet, you know, all that sort of stuff will appear. So, whereas the spelling is completely different. Cat and mat, the spelling is almost the same. So if you had yeah. like a strict traditional database, those two would come close together. But in an in, in, when they're embedded and vectorized, they'll cat and mat at different places, dog and um uh, cat uh, in close places. So, so that's sort of step one. Step two, then fine tuning is where you're going in, and you know, th there's many methods of fine tuning, but sort of the most popular that people are aware of is um, is the QA fine tuning. So you create a question uh, and a, a desired response, and you get the language model to run it, and then you give it an example, and depending on the the semantic distance between the answers um, you you know that sort of that information goes back into the model and it changes the weights and the biases so basically the um, the amount of weight it gives to particular probabilities of words and how much emphasis that's the bias piece that it gives to particular words and sentences and stuff like that and you're adjusting so that way the model will probabilistically output closer to what your desired uh, response is in the fine tuning. Mm -hmm. And that adjusts, yeah, as I said, the in internal weights and biases. And then lastly, and this is sort of where the human stage comes in, is you're doing like a reinforcement learning. So basically what you do here is you give um, people access to, and, and this is what we want to do with the Bitcoin community, basically, is you'll get the model to answer the question in two ways. Um, and somebody will look at the question and the two answers and they'll say this answer is better um, or they'll rate the different answers. And then that is, I mean, you can see it's almost like fine tuning. That's why people sort of place 
you know, the two together sometimes, but it's more of a, it's a, it's a human uh, version as opposed to just like feeding it to the model and doing unsupervised. This is sort of supervised fine tuning, I guess is where the reinforcement learning sits. And people just manually just say, okay, this is a better answer, this is a better answer, this is a better answer. And you sort of feed that back into the model. And there's some other complexities here, which I won't get into, but there's like, um, you know, reward models that you can build uh, into like that sort of sit next to the reinforcement learning that basically they, when the model guesses right, it basically gives it a reward, right? So when it's closer okay. to the, where the reinforcement is uh, supposed to be heading. So that's sort of that final stage. And what they found is that that human reinforcement learning is way more accurate than the unsupervised fine tuning. So that kind of like is mm -hmm. the top and that's what makes the model uh, really good. And that's where it's kind of like almost like, you know, giving a kid a spank slap on the wrist when it says something wrong, you know? So it's like, if the mm -hmm. model is a little bit out there, it's like, you know, if it says that there's only two genders, it's like, no, there's many genders. And you must remember that. So it's like, oh shit, you know, the model gets a spank and then, um, you know, it remembers in the future not to sort of say that. So there's sort of like the three methods. And you can sort of maybe tell by um, maybe even the first method of training, the pre-training, is the big problem we have with a Bitcoin language model is that all the prop, like if I was to go and take the mainstream information on Bitcoin, what do you got? The fucking coin desk. Yeah. You've got like, you know, all, all this crap, right? And basically what you're doing is you're training the model to semantically understand Bitcoin and Ethereum as the same thing or Bitcoin and Doge as the same thing. Yeah. That's if you like, do like a normal Google search or like a basic search engine, it's so crazy. I, I don't think about it because I'm so like, that's my network, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry. I, like, I don't think about the filters that I've set up for years and years on what good information is. But it's so crazy if I just go like search buy Bitcoin or what is Bitcoin or something on like a search engine, it's nothing but like garbage. Yes. For like the first four or five pages, it's all advertisements, it's Coinbase, it's it's just shit. And like I just feel so bad. I'm just like the people coming into this space, the f like no wonder, no wonder they're buying Cardano and Ripple first. You know, it's just crazy. So therein lies the problem with a Bitcoin-based language model. So you can go and take ChatGPT, for example. You can ask it to act like a Bitcoin maximalist, um, and it'll maintain character for a little while. Um, but as soon as you ask it, you know, uh, pretend you're the most hardcore Bitcoin maximalist possible, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, you ask it about, like, um, you know, investing in Bitcoin, and it'll tell you to have a diversified portfolio with the option of Bitcoin so that you're right. Um, mm -hmm. So, so that kind of crap is always going to come out. So for us, what we decided was like, man, we've got to go back to the pre-training stage. Like we've got to take a model and actually have these probability clusters different and then fine tune it and then do the reinforcement learning, kind of go, like go through the whole thing and go ahead. So I, I wanted to get this right. So you've built a model from scratch. Not yet. No, no, no. That's the next stage. Not yet. Okay. Okay. Yet. Okay. So, so may, maybe before I even talk about that, actually, let me talk about what we did now. So, so I, we've come to this realization after trying to do um, what I mentioned earlier about embeddings, right? So you've got the pre-training, fine-tuning, and reinforcement learning. Um, you can go and take any model now, and you can go and fine-tune it, and you know, do some sort of like 
you know, feed it a bunch of question answers and try and change the weights and biases and all that sort of stuff. And you can do that. Like the most common one that people do that with is probably still DaVinci, uh, OpenAI's uh, thing, because they've just got an easy toolkit, easy way to do it. Um, but even then, you know, you haven't solved the, the underlying problem. So then what people go and do, and you see this a lot when people say, oh, I've got my own model, right? Or our, our business has built our own model around our, you know, Q&A or FAQs, right? Or I built, you know, a model of the, the Bible, right? This is essentially what they're doing is they're not retraining the model. That's a fucking lie. Very, 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 very few people are doing you know, the retraining of the model. What they're doing is they're taking a corpus of knowledge. So let's just say you wanted to do a, um, let's just use the Jordan Peterson example. And we, we did this, right? Is you go and take all of his text. So he's 12 rules for life beyond 12 rules. You can go and transcribe his podcasts and all this stuff. And you go and take his like maps of meaning and you, you break all of that content into semantic chunks or in other words, just paragraphs of something mm -hmm. that, right? that you, if you mm -hmm. as a human, like the rule of thumb is if you as a human read the paragraph, you'd kind of understand what the paragraph is talking about. You know, so there's enough context there. You break it into chunks and then you store each chunk as an individual vector. So you do you you basically take some sort of embedding algorithm and you embed them into a vector database. And there's many vector databases out there. You've got more cloud-based ones like Pinecone. You've got local ones like Chroma, etc. You do that, mm -hmm. and then when when you want to interact with the language model, you you create like a, a front end for the language model where you you know you kind of give it an abstracted prompt. You say, okay, you are you. As a language, you are a language model that is going to emulate the, you know, the linguistic style and thinking and you know opinion of Jordan Peterson. And whenever you get a question, you are going to take the most relevant piece of context, which is the most relevant uh, vector store, um, the most relevant context from you know what's been taken from all the books, and you're going to put that into uh, like. You're going to add that into the prompt. So, so what we did essentially was, uh, when someone asks a question um, of Jordan Peterson, uh, we take the question, we have our pre-prompt, we we then go and find the most relevant piece of, you know, paragraph, and we put that into the prompt, and then we feed all of that to ChatGPT or to GPT three or to our fine-tuned DaVinci, whichever one. And then mm -hmm. when it responds, it takes that bit of context into uh, uh, into account, and it produces an answer that is more relevant, right? Interesting. So this is okay. This is when people when people talk about having their own local models and all this sort of stuff. This is essentially what they're doing, and it's not really training the model. It's not really what you're doing at this stage. Um, you know, training a model is a whole fine tuning process, or it's a pre training process. It's much more expensive. Mm -hmm. It's much more you know technical. This yeah. embeddings is really the gold standard. So whenever you see these, um, you know, create your own chatbot, you know, read your PDFs, right? Or, you know, make your, turn your PDF into an AI chatbot. Like all of these sort of tools, they're all embedding tools. Um, and look, it is, it is useful-ish. But once again, like, so, so we, we built our first model. We basically took every Bitcoin book. We took um, all of Saifedean's blogs, Gigi's blogs, Breedlove, mine, you know, fucking Bitcoin time stuff, Bitcoin magazine, mm -hmm. stuff. and we built a massive library of vectors, probably the biggest Bitcoin vector database out there, actually. Um, we did that over a couple months, and then we we fine-tuned DaVinci, um, and we plugged it all in, so the alpha that people, like, 
I've given some people access, like I you know, presented to you earlier, um, actually uses that that style of response. And it's not okay. bad. Like we, we went through and we basically plugged, you know, a bunch of uh, questions that might be a little bit tricky. So it's like we created all these pathways, you know, if a question about shit coins is asked, we then mm. add a waiting to like, okay, go and query from these chunks and um and like you mm-hmm. know the shit from my article in there like you know why Bitcoin or shitcoin like all this sort of stuff and it, it'll actually give a better response, right? Um, but it's still not perfect. Like you can you can prompt your way into turning Satoshi into a shitcoiner at the moment, and that that's mm-hmm. where my whole epiphany came in. I was like, fuck, we need to do this. We we need to go back to the start. We need to build a model from scratch. Um, we need to fine tune it ourselves. We need a reinforcement learning. We need to do a reinforcement learning stage with the whole Bitcoin community. Um, and then we can still use our vector store, you know, to, to make things a little bit more relevant, a little bit more sharper at the end. But that last bit is not really training. So so that's kind of what we've embarked on now. That's, you know, we raised a little bit of money for it. Um, we've got some good sort of Bitcoin backers and Bitcoin VCs uh, doing this. We're going to throw a bunch of bounties up to get the community to sort of be involved in the data curation process and in the training process and also in the evaluation process. So we'll talk about those in a minute. But anyway, that's kind of like stage one was to do that thing and prove that, hey, there's there's a, there's something we can do here. Um, but, you know, the, the low cost method doesn't really work. Um, the higher cost method, doing something from scratch, I think is imperative. And I think it's a Bitcoin mm-hmm. utility that the world needs. Um, and yeah, we... We've sort of embarked on building that and it's um yeah i think it's gonna be a fun project so the way i understand embeddings for the large language models um which this seems like it's kind of the exact same thing with the image diffusion stuff um actually um <clears throat> is that you know you have this broad model and when when you give it an embedding or a set of embeddings is you're basically telling it to narrow down. You're saying, please stay near this in your the, your vector connections and in, in the connections that you make. But because it's still a general model, and because it responds to the conversation, you can still trap. You can still have it travel back to basically a general set. Um, like you can talk its way back. You can talk it back to broad conversation. Um, <clears throat> And um, whereas the alternative, actually having your own model, is to literally train it only on semantically Bitcoin vectors, sort of, in in a way, is that the whole language itself is actually built around everything that we talk about in Bitcoin. Like, what is Bitcoin and the Bitcoin content and the Bitcoin viewpoint and the Bitcoin uh, worldview, you know, how so you say that's the more expensive method obviously um uh embeddings are seem incredibly cheap and quick uh uh, really clever really clever way to get a quick result yes um but uh what is the the degree of cost what's the degree of time what's the degree of like how many people do you need in this to to train this to to kind of stair step this thing towards a really really incredible tool yeah you think? this this is a work in progress um mm-hmm. there are a couple hundred thousand dollars for, for a model of our size um, mm-hmm. that, that's what it looks like um and I, I think a lot of it's 
you know, there's a big chunk of cost as well in like curating the data and, you know, making sure that that's all good. And this is where we're going to want to really leverage the Bitcoin communities. People, if people have like, if anyone's listening to this and they've been sort of like gathering Bitcoin data and doing all that sort of stuff, like fucking hit me up. Let me know, like, you know, this, we're, we're open sourcing everything. So we're just trying to like collect it all so that we can do the training and like we're going to be paying for the fucking training out of our pocket and then making, you know, the whole model free for everyone. So like if anyone wants to sort of participate in adding data to that, um by all means like reach out to me like i would love to get some you know twitter data like if someone is really good at like scraping twitter for example and getting us like some really hardcore really good bitcoin twitter data from like some of the best um bitcoin tweeters out there you know that would be amazing but anything like that like yeah like we've got this uh we're gonna chuck it up on github but we've got this internal document that we've been using to kind of like categorize like what are the areas of it so we've got like bitcoin and energy you know bitcoin Austrian economics you know bitcoin and um bitcoin biology bitcoin and this bitcoin and that like all this sort of stuff and we're trying to like you know gather up corpus of data across all of these things we're also going to add like you know all of the stuff on mises.org everything that we can find on Austrian economics everything that we can find on libertarian literature everything that we can find on even like classical english literature because you want it you want to have the models still be broader than just bitcoin stuff anyway sure sure um, and you know, and Bitcoin sort of builds on all of these things anyway, right? So mm-hmm. you know, we we like if anyone can sort of help with that stage, like this is the kind of uh, you know we're going to put like a probably a Discord or Telegram group or something together, like to sort of help you know corral all of this stuff. But um, yeah, there is like there's a cost in the training, but there's also a cost in sort of the data curation, data collection, data structuring, formatting, and everything, so that way it's ready for uh, the model to do all the um, the probability ingestion, the masking, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, how do you deal with, this is something that I've found with uh, like Hugging Face released one uh, as like an interface for their website. Um, and I've seen this like with two or three different ones now actually. Um, and they're trying to make it so that like it's a way that you can kind of like navigate things. But uh, when you ask it questions, it hallucinates. Like, because it's just a probability machine, it just invents things that don't exist. Um, like, it, you know, it told me, like, I asked if it was, like, what's a good model for uh, translation of text to speech to a different language? Um, and uh, uh, and it was like, oh, the this model by the XP Griffin model by so-and-so, and it gave me a link. None of it existed. Like, it was all it was all just, like, fantasy. How do you what's the process of plugging that in? Because I, I know a lot of services or a lot of uh, models or whatever it is that have actually, is that like, is that an embedding? You know, like, okay, well, here are the, here's, here's the actual list of things that you're asking about. Um, like, what's the best way to get it to understand rather than predict what the episode might be or what the, the model might be that in question that somebody's searching for, how do we get it to call that information from the actual list of models or things to to give you the answer, so to speak. Yeah, this is when knowledge graphs come in, right? And, and knowledge graphs mm-hmm. are basically in, in embedding databases. Like you, you can, I mean, there's multiple kind of knowledge graphs you can have. You can have like knowledge graphs that are traditional SQL databases, right? And um and you know you it can call something very specific from there, right? 
uh, you can have you know uh, API libraries that you know that can be called upon. But but mainly machine learning models work best with sort of uh, sorry I should say language models work best with semantic databases. Um, so with these vector stores um, and yeah you you can vectorize all of this stuff and you can call it and if the question if what you're querying has what's called a cosine similarity so if it's like there's enough similarity between the two that will be the selected piece of context that gets fed into the response um, interesting that, okay. that, that piece of context is referenced in the response right mm -hmm. so it's almost like you're talking on chat gpt and you say hey chat gpt you know i want you to write a um uh, a paragraph uh on this idea and here is an example paragraph to use um, and can you write it in a similar tone? And, you know, ChatGPT will then take what's in that paragraph and it'll, like, rewrite it for you, right? That's essentially what you're doing with embeddings, you know, but you're doing that mm -hmm. programmatically. So it, you said it works really well with semantic databases. Does, it, does this literally mean that, that that's interesting? So does the language model literally understand the database better if you speak in normal human language because that's it's kind of like semantic relationships uh, yeah pretty much so like it uh, like each each that's vector, so, that's so yeah, weird each, each vector each paragraph that you vectorized has like i think it's something like you know when you use open ai's embedding toolkit for example it's like 1598 dimensions or something like that whatever the fuck that means so that means like each sentence like it, it's got a number basically a vector is a number and you know that means something um, and then, you know, when you ask a question, <laughs> that is loud in my ears. God damn it. Um, <laughs> sorry. That, that's, what a way to kill the podcast. <laughs> I'm not even cutting it out. I'm not even cutting it out. Leave it. Um, so, yeah, so, so what you're doing is, um, you know, the, the, you're asking the model a question and it's kind of referencing. It's like, okay, what about this question matches something in there and it just inserts it into the prompt. Um, and then it answers with something relevant uh, or, you know, references something uh, relevant. That's interesting. That's so, it's so crazy. What? It's so funny because, uh, you, you know, like computers, think computers operate with ones and zeros right and there's always this thing is like when you're doing something uh whenever you're doing something you're clicking on anything like think about the fact that like the computer doesn't understand what you're doing it understands pixels and it understands zeros and ones and processes and calculations but what's so weird about this is that you're literally teaching the computer to think in language so that well, now zeros and ones are hard <laughs> now now math and not really, not really, not really, not really. Because now, not really, we, okay. No, we've, we've well, just well, it's the software layer that's. We've just turned language into zeros and ones. That's what we've done. So ve sure, ve okay. Vectorizing, okay. Is turning, yeah. turning a, turning a sentence. So, so the the, 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 machine doesn't know what it actually means. It just, you know, sure. And sure. what we're really yeah. relying. I mean, on it's just like icons and stuff. Is that like you'll still have like this association and this interaction with it, but obviously under the hood, it's all. It, it's fundamentally only zeros and ones. It's the only yeah. thing it can do. Yeah. Um, well, but 
It really, it really is. It's a new interface. It's just a completely new interface. It's yeah. just fascinating. That that's the thing. It's it's a new interface, which like, and, and this this is where people get, you know, often like sort of off the rails. It's like it it really is zeros and ones, and and I, I mean the big Achilles heel here is that we are really um, dependent on a lot of these embedding algorithms, creating meaning around paragraphs okay. that are actually. You know, mm-hmm. accurate because it might, you know, interpret the meaning of, you know, X paragraph and Y paragraph as very close, but maybe they're not. Now, mm-hmm. we, we, we are with embeddings, particularly with paragraph typed embeddings, we're actually a little bit lucky because English and language and English as a language in particular has certain rules. So for the embeddings to be useful, you can't really do a bunch of woke shit. So like, um, you know, because as soon as you start doing woke stuff and, you know, uh, undermining the meaning of actual language, you actually destroy the usefulness of embeddings, uh, of embedding algorithms. So, you know, generally mm-hmm. embedding algorithms are pretty, pretty good, pretty robust. Um, and you can like put mm-hmm. good stuff in the embedding stuff. Um, so, so, so I don't think that's, that's a, that's a huge enough risk, but at the end of the day, all you're doing is you're taking, you're taking something, you're taking text, you're taking the meaning of a text and you're, you're translating it into some numbers. Um, and then, you know, the, you're, you're looking for a match between numbers um, that the computer understands, and then you're producing something of more relevance or coherence uh, out the other end. How big of a how big of a thing is this going to be? Like how how excited are you that you took this on versus how are you how much are you like shit? What have I done to myself? <laughs> Dude, I uh, do you know what when when we were. I got punked by building the first model, basically, when we did all the embeddings and all the fine tuning and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we maybe spent like 50 grand doing that. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, this is not too bad. You know, it's, it's all right. Um, you know, m- maybe we can do this for like, you know, under a million bucks and do something really good. Um, now that I'm looking at like all the data we have to collect and like how much is really involved in pre training and all this sort of it's shit, I'm like, yeah, uh, maybe I was on drugs. You know, maybe I took crack <laughs> before I decided to do this. So, you know, I don't know. We're we're really going to need the community's help, honestly. And this is where yeah. you know maybe I'll touch on this before we wrap up because I'm going to have to wrap up um, in like the next seven minutes. But um, I'll, I'll right. touch on how I want the community to help. Well, us. I was going to so, give you the let's, what's the call to action here? Yeah, like, what yeah, do we yeah. do? So here's what we need to do. We we need to collect data, as I said earlier. And so anyone who has like data sets. Twitter data sets, Austrian economics, libertarianism, fucking whatever. Reach out. Let's let's collect all this sort of stuff so that we can clean it and prep it for for pre-training. Second, you know, we'll, we'll do the uh, the unsupervised uh, fine-tuning, so we'll, we'll we'll sort of take care of that. Then there's two other bits. There is um, the reinforcement learning, and then there's evaluation. So evaluation is not really part of the training process. Evaluation is kind of figuring out whether, hey, you know, the model that we're building, is it actually fucking better or is it like, are we just lying to ourselves, right? So the way you mm-hmm. do evaluation is you take um, you take a benchmark model, so let's say GPT-4, um, and then you take our model and you ask them both the same question and they give you your two different responses. And then a human selects which response is better without knowing who gave what response, right? So okay. what we're in the process of doing is we're building out a database of questions. It'll be about a thousand questions. 
and we're going to give people some sats for this for the people who you know help us out on this is basically that there'll be a section on spirit of satoshi where, where you can go and you can say earn some sats for helping evaluate satoshi and then earn some sats for helping train satoshi right so in the evaluation part we'll go in there and they'll just basically it'll be like a game you know they'll see the question two answers and they'll just select which one's better right um or we might do like a rating system you know click the stars and what this will help us understand is benchmarked against GPT-4, for example, how much better is mm -hmm. our model on this specific database of Bitcoin questions. So to build that database mm -hmm. of questions, we've got about 200 at the moment. We might even crowdsource some of that. So if people have like cool questions and stuff like that to ask, we might actually pop that up on GitHub and people can put a bunch of questions in there and, um, and help us basically build like the ultimate uh, Bitcoin benchmarking set of evaluation questions, right? And then mm -hmm. we'll want to benchmark this against... Build an LLM test. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a testing mechanism. So we'll want to benchmark uh, Spirit of Satoshi against ChatGPT, against Bard, against Falcon, against all these other ones, and sort of prove that, hey, um, you know, our model's getting better as we continually do the pre-training and fine-tuning. Like, we want to make sure our model's mm -hmm. getting better. And then finally, with the reinforcement learning stage, and this is something we're still trying to figure out how we do this in the best way to make sure that we don't get fucking noise and shit pointers and stuff like that in there. Yeah. Basically... We'll give people similar to the evaluation, but this time it'll be our model offering two questions. Sorry, two answers. So there'll be a question, two answers, and people have the option of like creating a recommended response. So it's like, okay, yeah, this question, this sorry, this answer sucks. Um, mm -hmm. Well, this answer is better, but uh, this is why it's better, right? So we'll, we'll be able to have some other interaction that you know the average Bitcoin pleb can put in there and say, hey. This is a better answer about you know why Bitcoin is better than Ethereum, or this is a better answer about why um, you know it's not a smart idea to diversify your Bitcoin portfolio with other shit coins or whatever it is, right? So they'll, mm -hmm. they'll have a recommended response, and normally what you would do is you would feed that new recommended response back into the system, um, and then you know play with the weights and biases. The problem of doing that straight up though is that you know we might get uh, dust, right? Um, or maybe not dust, but we might get spammed essentially by people yeah. you know, going in there and you know, getting cracking. So what I'm thinking the way to solve this is maybe creating it in such a way that it's like, okay, responses go in there and people can actually vote with sats to you know knock the best responses up a list. Then mm. the best response um, gets fed back into the system and those sats get actually released to the person who wrote the response. So that way we almost create an incentive Oh, that's in. interesting. Yeah, so, so I'm, I'm kind of like trying to architect this in my head at the moment. And if anyone's got any ideas on this, by all means, reach out. Like, this is a call to sort of get the Bitcoin community involved. But we want to create a really interesting way to incentivize people to get involved in that reinforcement learning stage to, you know, get in there and like, because I, like, you know, you get the Pareto rule, right? Like, 10% of people are going to do 90% of the work. And I want to incentivize yeah. those 10% of people to just go in there and like, you know, really give some fucking awesome answers and really mm -hmm. help us do this supervised fine tuning at the end, like make it really it's going to be nice. my side gig now. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. Seriously. Like, I mean, this is seriously a way for people to like, I want to make it a way for them to earn some sats um, and participate in something meaningful. Um, mm -hmm. and at the other end, everyone benefits. Uh, and it's almost like, it'll be like a faucet, like back in the old days. Right. But like we're doing something kind of useful. Um, so anyway, that, that's kind of like the, the three, the three pillars where we're, we're going to need help with data want people to get involved in the evaluation and then also in the um, in the reinforcement learning stage. And it's probably going to be in that order as well. Like right now, 
we're just gathering data, 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 data. We want you know, at least, man, we want at least 10 billion tokens and we're about at the, you know, the couple billion mark. So we definitely, okay. um, and we, uh, we then, yeah, we're going to need some help with evaluation stuff and then, um, and then finally the reinforcement. Hell yeah. A quick question. How do you deal with uh, video and audio content? Yeah, um, are y'all able to transcribe it basically? So everything that gets fed to a model has to be text. So gotcha. we have okay. to transcribe everything. So uh, can I help with transcriptions? Because I have been setting up a script um, on my computer to uh, it's whisper AI. It's just the open AI yeah. model. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but to transcribe. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. So the podcast, you know, the show, this, this show, um, yeah, Paul, Paul Latoy from stack work. Yeah. I, I actually think we're going to have a show Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Paul and I have been discussing this for a while. So he's, he's been, he's been doing transcriptions, but high quality transcriptions where he uses basically okay. using a chain of different models. So he uses whisper to do like the first run and then he uses some mm -hmm. specific models that are good with like, uh, with pronouns, with, uh, with, uh, like names and spaces and places and all this sort of stuff to go through and do a second. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Whisper might, you know, confuse Svetsky with Jetski. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, yeah. Or you know, whatever. Like, so, so it'll have the wrong word. So, like, he does a clean. Like, he takes it through multiple stages to get the best possible transcription at the other end. And he's done a bunch of Bitcoin content, so he's going to be contributing a bunch of content as well um, to to the model here. And, but yeah, anyone who's like been doing this sort of stuff in any way, who has some sort of Bitcoin corpus of data, who's really good at scraping, who's like, you know, into data science, wants to see Bitcoin sort of like, or a Bitcoin model grow, like, hit me up, please. Like, this is this is the time now for us to build this shit. Um, because, yeah, I think the, the world needs it. So, but yeah, if, uh, if you've got some stuff and you think it's pretty good from a transcription standpoint, please, man, like, whatever we get, the, the more data, the better. Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man, dude, this is exciting. Um, I'm going to be, uh, uh, send me any links that you want to direct anyone to, um, mm -hmm. for, you know, trying to help out where to send information, discord, you know, whatever, whatever you got. Um, and also, uh, it'll be a great resource for me so that I, I make sure I'm connected to everything. Cause, uh, I would love, I would love to be a part of this, um, sure. uh, far more deeply. Uh, that'd be exciting. Absolutely, yeah. You, you, you are one of my main dudes. So, so there's that. There's main that. man. <laughs> for, for 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 people that are interested in listening, it's just spiritofsatoshi.ai. So that's where they can go. And at the moment, it's just a landing page. What we're doing is we're letting people in, like sort of in in chunks, to play around with the alpha. And the alpha does have a thumbs up, thumbs down. Um, and you know that way, at least we get we're, we're basically collecting that at at the moment. Um, but yeah, like anyone who's got their name on the on the mailing list, they will be part of the people we reach out to for the evaluation side of things and everything we just i mean i almost feel like i prematurely announced it because like we're kind of like scrambling now <laughs> to try to get everything ready so that we can communicate with people better um yeah you know, i i have about like 500 fucking emails from people saying hey i want to be a beta tester hey i want to help and i haven't responded to anyone because i'm on a freaking honeymoon anniversary trip so it's like i'm an idiot to go at the wrong time but anyway if anyone's listening to this and they have emailed Apologies, I will get back to you first, second week of July. We're trying to get back to everyone. Um, but yeah, we're almost there. Good luck with that. Good luck with tackling those messages. Um, uh, and you guys have fun. Uh, I guess it's, I just guess the sun just went down over there. 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to start my day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> seeing you, buddy. Really appreciate yeah. this, uh, this conversation, as always. Uh, it's a absolutely absolutely thank you it's always fun and uh we will definitely be talking again in the future all right my friend all right man thank you adios later i hope you guys enjoyed that conversation um there is undoubtedly going to be really exciting things to share and we'll stay up on uh checking out the progress on training and the evolution of this and many other tools like it um, as this show goes forward and as the AI ecosystem unravels because there's just constant updates. Um, uh, if nobody has checked it out, I just heard today about Stable XL. It is a completely new version of Stable Diffusion, a, a reworking of the model, and it looks phenomenal. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't. Um, I'll have the link there just because that's the, that's the thing I've been digging into for the last couple of days. Don't forget to check out Fetsky and what they are doing. Uh, I will have the link down in the description so it is easy to find. And of course, our lovely sponsor, Cold Card and the hardware wallet to keep your Bitcoin safe, to make sure that you own it. 9% off with code Bitcoin Audible. And that is also right down there in the description of the show. So convenient. With that, I will catch you guys on the next episode of AI Unchained. Don't forget to subscribe, and I'll talk to you later.